You're listening to the GamesReady.biz podcast. I'm James Bachelor, Editor-in-Chief. We have a bit of a different show for you this week rather than the rest of the team. I am joined by special guests. We have Chinjia Musio, Diversity and Inclusion Advisor at Splash Damage. Chinjia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Anissa Sanusi, DNI Committee at Roll7 and founder of Limit Break, the mentorship program. Anissa, thank you so much for joining us as well. No, thank you for having me. As regular readers of the GamesIndustry.biz website and listeners of the podcast will have no doubt have guessed, the ongoing big story is the Activision Blizzard lawsuit. Uh, more of this is developing every day. We didn't really want to delve further into the specifics of this story uh, because, quite frankly, that doesn't add anything to the conversation and it felt a little remiss to just kind of divert to other topics and discuss you know, video games. Why would we want to talk about video games when all this is happening? So we figured it would be better to have a bit of a deeper conversation. This is going to be industry-wide and very kind of general because, as so many people have pointed out over the last couple of weeks, this is an industry-wide issue. This is not an Activision Blizzard issue. The issue of discrimination, harassment, abuse, sexual harassment, misconduct, toxicity, the ongoing list of problems with industry workplaces, and not just at a AAA level, but at an indie level in some cases, in media, in influences. Uh, there are just so many elements of the games industry where this culture that enables just pretty terrible behaviour and it doesn't punish the offenders, doesn't protect the victims... I think everyone has had enough by this point. So what we're going to do today is we are going to discuss how we support those who are affected by it, what companies can do to better protect their staff, to better educate their HR staff and managers and people who are meant to be protecting those staff and generally improve their processes. If you've heard a content warning before the music even started, then you know that this episode gets quite deep. But I'm going to put content warning here as well. This may well go into some very uncomfortable territory if we start going to specific examples. But the objective of this conversation is to advise on how we can improve this industry and how we can move away from these terrible situations and stop them from happening. Not just acknowledging that they're happening and saying we'll do better next time. Chinji and Anissa, thank you so much for joining me on this episode because it's, it's a very difficult kind of conversation. My first question for today's discussion is, what do you think, in your opinion, is the bare minimum that companies of any size should be doing to support and protect their employees from discrimination, harassment, abuse and so forth? I mean, the bare minimum really is not letting it happen. That accountability needs to be there. And, and you know, if any incidents happen, it's it's addressing it. It's believing the people that um, have experienced it, and is you know be, being there for the victims and being there to protect them. That's there's no lower bar than that. There isn't anything other than that that you can do. Basically, listening, isn't it, to empathize with your staff members who's going up to you to complain. It is a very vulnerable act to be able to open up to someone in leadership about something that happened because. We can assure you, anyone who um, who goes through this, they'll be double-guessing themselves multiple times. They'll be too afraid to speak up because ultimately people are always, always afraid of what's going to happen to them, right? I think the, the biggest thing is that they're scared that it might go back to them because that's the thing with abusers is that they're very good at isolating you. So victims feel like they're alone, that they're making it up. Having someone believe you and take it seriously, that is, again, <laughs> bare minimum. I guess if in, in terms of like in the workplace, somewhere, a way that staff members can complain anonymously is so powerful. 
Um, so many people don't want to put their names on something, but they still feel strongly enough to bring it up, to mention it, because, you know, something needs to be done. But again, not everybody wants to be the poster child of, you know, trying to get this sorted. Um, it's, it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of emotional labor as well on, on the parts of marginalized people. If the onus is on the company to make sure that the systems are in place, then employees just feel much safer that the fact that they can do this. It just shows that they care, really. I think it's also important for a company to put the work in showing to your employees that it's worth them trusting you, that you are taking these things seriously, that you are going to investigate if any complaints happen, that you're going to be taking the time to investigate them. And trust is really, really difficult to create, but it's really easy to break. If you end up breaking trust for any reason with your employees, you're going to need as a company to be putting that work to make sure that they can trust you, that they can come to you with any situation that has happened, that that needs to be there. You need to make it so that employees trust you as a company. And ultimately, that's going to make people feel safe in the environment that they're in if they trust you. That's going to bring in with, with it a lot of benefits. But that, that trust needs to be there. People need to be feeling safe at work. And not only that's the bare minimum, there's also a legal requirement. As employers, we all have duty of cares for the employees that we work with. That's, that's something that a company has to do. A company has to be taking care of their employees. That is like the legal bare minimum. If you aren't doing that in the UK, you're not following the law. You're not running the company the way that it needs to be run. So I started with the bare minimum because, yeah, you would hope that they are doing the bare minimum. But like all of the statements that come out from these situations, and we've particularly seen this with Activision Blizzard, there's a lot of talk of, well, we're going to continue to do this. We're going to improve on our prices. And like they, they imply that there is at least a bare minimum already there. And yet, if that was the case, then you would hope that these situations don't come up and certainly that these these stories don't come out. So let's kind of uh, drill down a little bit more on what, what companies can do to improve above and beyond that bare minimum. And kind of want to look at the leadership first. So there's been a lot of scrutiny on leaders and executives, particularly around you know Activision Blizzard and Ubisoft and all the higher profile companies. Are like, well, how have the leaders allowed this to happen? What do you think that executives, management, leadership can do to better understand the state of the culture at their company? I ask this because I, you know, the statements usually along the lines of, well, this is not representative of the company that I thought I was running. I didn't know about any of this. And perhaps to an extent, if you were being unnecessarily generous, you could say, well, yeah, how often does a CEO walk along the studio floor and see people at their natural behavior, as it were? What can they do to, to better understand what is actually happening at their company if, and it is a big if, they genuinely don't already know about this at the time? It's fucking bullshit that they don't know this. They all, they all know. They know. Okay, with AAA companies, the distance between CEO and like the lowest ranking worker is massive. So obviously they're not going to know the tiny details, but they have so many managers, mid-managers, um, you know, directors, so many people in between and somewhere around there, that's where the communication just breaks down. So I think that's a thing. An open communication platform where the workers can talk to people in, um, in leadership to, to, you know, again, to voice out these concerns, not only to voice out these concerns, but also to get feedback that their concerns are being taken seriously, one and two, that, you know, steps are being taken as well after that. 
I know a lot of companies these days are um, starting to have their own DNI committees or people who are solely working uh, in diversity and inclusivity. So that's what DNI stands for. But it's so much more than just hiring diverse candidates. The fact that the people who who get harassed and abused, they're always always marginalized people, right? So it's kind of useless if you're just adding more people into a system that's going to spit them out again if you don't address the cause and not the symptoms. If you do have a DNI committee, listen to them. There's no point if they're doing all of this work, all of this research, kind of like coming back to the C-suite and being like, hey, this is happening. I think we we should do this, 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 this. If people up top are not listening or empathizing, then there's no point. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of become really disheartened you know like we try so hard a lot of the initiatives that we have in the games industry right now stuff like mentorship programs or you know people doing meetups and doing uh, a lot of like community work all of this is on an individual level and it's way like on the bottom of the pyramid and what we need is change from from the top i think there should just be more diverse people in in leadership positions there should be more female founders people of color founders because if you're in such a position of privilege and you've been in that position for so long, you're kind of numb and you're deaf to people's complaints. Then I don't, how do you teach empathy? How do you teach empathy to somebody? That's the issue, right? There are good people out there and they're working really hard. But if it falls on deaf ears, that's when everyone's just really tired. It really is the key to this, right? It, it is about listening um, and, and having like systems where your employees are empowered to talk anonymously so that it is safe and it's not going to impact their career because marginalized people already struggle to make their way up and to to find their spots at that leadership team. So make sure that you're giving them a source for them to talk to you where it isn't going to impact them like in any way. Because even if you might not think that it will impact them, like if they're seen as the person always complaining, then that unconscious bias might come into play, right? Like you might not realize that you're not wanting to make them advance, but because you're like, every time you speak to them, they're speaking about something negative. You might end up thinking, you know, that that's just troublemaker. And so make sure that you've got somewhere where people can raise concerns anonymously so that you're not putting these concerns against the face constantly and that you listen, that you, you keep an eye on it, that you look at what's being said, that you read the comments that people are leaving you, that you really spend time understanding what your company culture is and you drive it. You really, really drive it forward to go with that. You do the work to constantly talk about DNI, to to raise awareness, to bring people in to do trainings and talks and to give people the right mental health support. You make sure that they aren't going to be crunching, that if there is any extra work that you manage that accordingly, because that's going to be linked, right? If you've got people that are late in the office working until midnight every day, that's just the right kind of like culture to make things go wrong make sure that these things are kind of taken care of, that you're keeping an eye on it. Yes, leadership can be a bit disconnected from people because they have been in these positions of power for so long, but stop being disconnected. Do the work so that you can be connected to your employees. It is literally part of what they do. Like They're running a company. So they need to, to be there, to be understanding what's happening. 
And there's also the fact that it's not just leadership as well. Like it's your peers because um, accountability should be from everybody, really. And there's so many stories of when someone might feel uncomfortable because, you know, a very bad joke or something and everybody else is laughing. Um, and, you know, those people who are not calling it out, those people who after the incident would go back to the women and be like, oh, by the way, yeah, I didn't agree with that. Well, that's kind of useless if you're telling it to me in, in, in private. We need you to call it out publicly, call it out then and there. I think sometimes these incidents happen so quick and you're just like, wait, what? Did, did that just happen? And you know, you need time to process it. But if you don't say those things to the perpetrator himself or themselves, then it's kind of useless because they think that, you know, whatever they're doing is completely fine. It's annoying to me just to, to see a lot of men specifically who are just like, oh, I'm appalled at this, you know, like, oh, I've never really seen um, this happen in front of me. I'm like, bull fucking shit. Everybody has a cry in the, in the toilet cubicle story, you know, where they're just having such a terrible time. You've seen those people come out of those cubicles, go back to their desk, like face all red and tired. Did you go ask them what happened? Did you like, or did you just like, yeah, not my problem, which, you know, fair enough. But also this is how it gets worse, isn't it? The the victims will just feel really powerless because, you know, they don't feel like they can speak up because everybody f- seems to think that this is okay. When we say like someone in a position of power, it could also mean someone in position of privilege. So, you know, if you're a, a man, if you're a white man specifically, you can speak out, you can call out like, you know, the, this bro culture or like something that's just not, not bright. It's not just the leadership, it's everybody together. And so far, the people that have been doing the work has been women, people of color, the usual crowd. And we're so tired. We just need somebody to listen and help us do things. We're going to dive a lot deeper into that in a little bit. Um, There was one more question I wanted to ask from the kind of company perspective. So we've talked about leadership, we've talked about the companies in general. Often in these cases, it comes also down to a failure of HR of the HR departments that they you know, have these processes in place, but the processes don't work. Or the implication is that some of the, the HR managers just aren't doing their bit. They're protecting the wrong people. There's been a lot of uh, kind of scrutiny into HR and how HR works over the last couple of years. Certainly we've run a few pieces on gamesindustry.biz uh, in the last couple of years. What is it that HR staff can do? I mean, we've, we've established that they can listen more and believe the victims how can they better prepare themselves to handle sexual harassment complaints, support the victims? Like not just let's hope that they now, right, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to take this seriously. Whenever someone comes forward to me, what can they do when someone does? What do they need to do to support that person? I mean, there's training, right? It's, it's quite simple. Uh, HR people have access to a lot of resources that are out there that are most of the time free as well to kind of like, do the right training and to understand, you know, what needs to be done. There's a lot of like training that can be done in terms of what what the legal stance on all of this is. In the UK in particular, I know that Mary mentioned that last week, there's ACAS, A-C-A-S, um, which is basically the ombudsman for HR people. So it's there, you know, to create accountability, but they're also there to provide the support and the training for HR people to know, you know, what to do and, and how to investigate these things fairly. And that's all there, that, that all exists and that's all resources that are there. And I think the important part is to do the work to inform yourself as an HR person to know how you can investigate these things fairly and how to do it in a way that's not going to damage the mental health of the victims. And that's really, really key here because 
you're going to be speaking to someone that has lived through tremendous trauma and you need to have that empathy in order to be able to understand how to deal with it. And whether that is asking an external mental health professional to be there and to be there to support, that's fine. But those resources are available. And with a little bit of investment into your people, whether it is HR people or people in general, you're going to be able to, to create those things and make sure that you have like a form of accountability that can exist for HR, whether it is like you have an, an external HR team that you can you know rely on when you need someone to investigate because you feel you can't investigate that. That's something that is possible that can be done. Or whether it is, you know, making sure that you've, you've got to support yourself because dealing with these things are going to be difficult and tiring and, and it's going to impact you negatively. So make sure that that mental health support is there for you so you don't start feeling disconnected as a protection, as a way to protect yourself. That's going to be really important because you need to keep that empathy going, but that can be really tiring. And so make sure that you've got, you know, the mental health resources that are there for you. And, and if you have internally anyone um, that can hold you accountable, which is the way that, that we're set up at Splash Damage, I, I sit close enough to the HR team that I'm not fully within the HR team so that I can hold them accountable if anything were to happen. I, I'm the person that's there to be like, we need to be careful about this. I am sitting close enough to them so that I have access to the information so that I can do my job and I can hold them accountable. But having someone like this in your studio is, is a really easy way to make sure that that accountability stays there, that you've got someone that can look at your processes and making sure that that they are there for employees, that they are there to make sure that if there are any victims, that you can protect them. It really is all down to making a conscious decision to lead with empathy. If you've reached that point where the victims are opening up to you or making like a proper report, I think it's really, really important for HR to not drop the ball there. And I mean, that's when you start in your investigation. And I think a lot of victims, they would report to HR, assuming they would, the investigation phase would happen. And, you know, they, they have receipts. They have usually people jot down when, where, and all that jazz. I think it's really important for HR to actually do good on that, like actually investigate properly, contact people who are involved and, you know, get a better picture of, you know, the situation. And also HR is basically the mediator between um, the, the victim and leadership, right? Like at some point you're going to have to tell the directors, it was like, okay, this is happening. We need to take action. And I think HR is the best person to form the next steps of what can they do to one, support the victim and second, how to investigate properly because to make sure that whatever's being said is true. And also again, accountability. If your accountability means just telling someone off, that doesn't feel like much, you know, it feels like there needs to be an actual consequence. The reason abusers keep doing what they do is because there's the lack of consequences to their actions. So they keep doing it. I know the the advice that people t t tend to get is like, oh, don't talk to HR because they're protecting the company and not protecting you. Some companies, they are like that. And it's, it's really terrible. Um, I know some companies have an external HRs um, and external HRs, they are a lot more unbiased. You know, they're quite neutral. They're just trying to find out what's happened. In my experience, um, external HR companies have been the better experience I've had in comparison to internal HR. Like Chinzia said, if you do have a DNI committee or DNI person working with you, they're also there to to help you out in, in that case, you know, because the, even 
the DNI in our company, HR is there, but the DNI committee is made up of um, the workers themselves, you know, like a, a bunch of people who care to have these systems in place. If you are HR, just make sure that you're investigating properly and the fact that this message gets passed on to CEOs or COOs so you can avoid the whole like, oh, I didn't know this. Nah, nah. We've been telling you, like, make sure there's an official way of keeping track of things, you know, keeping receipts and keeping incidents and it's written down and it's not lost because if somebody keeps complaining multiple times and the information isn't there, the track record isn't there then that's just wasted air. Why are we talking to you in the first place, right? Let's go back to what you were talking about earlier then, Anissa. We're kind of working our way down the hierarchy at, at, at our hypothetical company here. People who aren't necessarily in positions of power, although, like you say, they may be in positions of privilege, people who are kind of on the shop floor, as it were, like the colleagues of those who are suffering from this, what should those people who see discrimination, harassment, abuse taking place either in general in just the environment or to specific people what should they do to act and i guess kind of connected to that what is it they should be looking for that needs action taken whenever we talk about abuse and harassment i think people have this idea in their head that it's somebody flat out shouting or cursing or so clearly being antagonistic when usually it's a lot more subtle than that. Usually it's just the way you speak, topics that you talk about, passing things off as as a joke. And it, it usually is not. It's, you know, it's just kind of like off-color comments. If somebody says something that is a little bit off, you don't just awkwardly laugh at it and think like, oh, let's like, let's not talk about this. You want to point it out. You want to bring up, hey, this is not cool. Just that, literally just that. That is the easiest thing that you can do, which is to kind of stop it right there. Like, and you know what? It is uncomfortable because the person might get defensive. They most probably will be defensive, right? But you kind of have to stand your ground there. This is why calling things out can be difficult because, you know, you are challenging somebody and most people, especially in Britain, are non-confrontational. So we just let a lot of things slide. And I think as a culture, that's really bad. You do want to point out things that is bad. And again, empathy, where a lot of these things you might not really notice if you don't pay attention. And if a colleague's behavior is a little bit different from usual, you know, if they're a lot more quiet or, you know, or they're just drowning themselves in work or anything that is just not their usual self, then that means something is up. And I think that's, it's always worth reaching out. I'm not saying everybody needs to act as a therapist or as like a problem solver, but just being able to reach out and say, is there something bothering you? And they might actually tell you what happened. I'm not trying to vilify anyone who has never said anything, but you might have not realized something happened until someone points it out to you and you can take that as a learning experience. But yeah, it's mostly just subtle. It's always so subtle. And it's, all, it's a lot of kind of introspection and kind of you're confronting yourself with, are these things actually okay to joke about? Like a really good example recently, someone posted up um, on Twitter is that it was like a daily battle to not sexualize their female characters, especially the non-human characters. People are always like, oh no, just make the boobs bigger, give them lip gloss, whatever. And 
if somebody is kind of trying to go against that, you know, for good reason, you just get shot down every day being all like, oh, you're just being pushy or like, why do you care so much? Blah, 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 blah. So these are like the everyday battles that you kind of have to go through. It's not flat out abuse, is it? But it's still aggravating. It's still kind of dismissing your opinions, dismissing your concerns, shutting up people who have concerns about something not being cool. That's just just it. Like silencing people is how most abusers kind of get to where they are. Because again, it's like, it's a power move. If you keep an eye on how your marginalized employees are being treated compared to you by people around you and really like pay attention to that, I think that it's, it's a really good place to kind of start. And if you want to learn about things, there is so many resources available online. Whenever I end up on panels or watch other people on panels and stuff like that, we always kind of have that ongoing joke that it's only the people that don't need to see this that are going to be present. And that's that's it, right? Like marginalized people are watching other marginalized people talk about how to be supportive of marginalized people. And that's just that cycle repeating itself. And being an ally, being present for people around you is is super important. And watch the talks attend them just make sure that you you do the work when when we're talking about how to support us be present for it like just just listen to what people have to say and and take that into account and make sure that you take that into your day-to-day work and that you do things as they happen instead of you know waiting for it later on if you see someone being mistreated instead of which is also important, right? But instead of going to the person and being like, oh, this was not cool. I, you know, how are you feeling? Go to the person that did the thing and and tell them this was not cool. You should not do that again. Like, you know, if you're worried in doing that out loud and like saying it in a group situation or something like that, take the person aside and have a conversation with them and, and talk about how their word can have an impact. Be that person, be that voice. I was in a talk recently where, where someone was saying that as marginalized people, we have to be nuisance and we just need people in position of privilege to be a nuisance with us. That's, that's it. That really is it. I need people to say the things that we're repeating and to just, you know, tell other people. That doesn't mean that, you know, you have to like, all of a sudden be the person at the talks and, you know, doing all that extra work. That, that's something that if we're willing to do that, that means we're happy to do it and we're happy to help bring about change. And, and obviously the voice of marginalized people should be the one that gets heard. But just listen to all the work that we're putting out there to make the industry better and, and take that into account and move forward with it. On the other hand as well, if you are the person who is being told off, then I highly suggest don't react extremely defensively as in listen and be like, if somebody's telling you, you know, this is not cool, obviously human nature, you will get defensive. You will get like, oh God, no, I didn't mean it that way. Sure. Even with the best of intentions, if, you know, if your actions is quite objectively bad, take that as a point to do again, introspection, just think about why this is a bad thing to do, to say, um, and learn and maybe just apologize because we're not out here with pitchforks ready to drive you out. You can change, you can learn and, you know, people have. So if you've been doing small, like microaggressions that you don't even realize are microaggressions, 
be thankful somebody took the time to point it out, you know, because they care enough to tell you, hey, that's not cool. I care about you. And I also care about this person. We all can still get along if you just stop stop saying this or whatever. And that's fine. Just Just say, oh, I apologize. I didn't realize that was a bad thing to do. And then you move on. That's it. Aside from justice, um, the only things that victims want is just to be heard. That's an interesting point because some offenders or some perpetrators in, like, in, in these situations that are brought up by all these different reports, they genuinely don't know that what they are doing is wrong. They ju- it is part of, you know, it's part of the culture, it's part of the banter, it's just a laugh, it's just a joke. And to them, it isn't something offensive. So I guess that's something to delve into is like, how can people better educate themselves as to whether or not their behavior is appropriate easy to literally just watch the talks there's so many of these talks going on this is not new like every year every conference there's always you know a dni talk about this and that how to do how to do this how to do that just watch one of them any of them talk to the actual dni people in your company or even talk to anybody get in touch with those speakers everybody is so open to talk about these things it's so, so easy to just learn how to check yourself and how to be a good ally. And also like being a good ally also means that it's not about you. It's about everybody. It's about the community as a whole. A lot of this is difficult because you have to check your ego at the door. You have to put it aside. As much as you want to talk about the abusers, like we want to center the victims mostly, you know, we, their feelings matter, their their experiences are valid. And, you know, if you want to be a good ally, you you want to make sure that they are feeling safe and not just you feeling good. It's not about you. Like, so it's never about you. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as far as like how you should kind of like behave and everything, I think that especially in an industry where we, you know, we're, we're producing content that is fun for people to, you know, interact with, we kind of forget that this is still a professional environment. When you want to make a joke, when you want to react in a certain way, when you want to say something, like kind of like thinking about, is this appropriate for a workplace? Like, is this something that I should be sharing in a workplace environment? It's something that doesn't really get considered because we are an industry of people that are, you know, really passionate and that are really friendly to each other. But ultimately, like when you're at work, it is still work. And you have to behave professionally with people around you, regardless of whether or not they're friends. And you can be friendly and professional at the same time. Like the two are not incompatible. You can make jokes and be professional, but just like if your jokes are the expense of marginalized people, then those jokes not only are not appropriate in general, but definitely not in a workplace environment. If you have personal questions that you should you want to ask people, Again, think about like, is this appropriate for a workplace environment? Like, is this, you know, the right place for me to be talking about my personal relationships or to be trying to build personal relationships is a professional event somewhere where I should be trying to date someone. Like, those are all like, you know, really important things to be thinking about. It really, really does boil down to we need people to behave professionally in a workplace environment. I would also extend that to socials that you have with your work colleagues, because, you know, we like each other outside of work. We hang out at pubs or, you know, um, at whatever um, event there is. There's so many games events out there. It's important to know that even at events, public events like that, it's, it's still a professional setting. You still want to be careful with how you conduct yourself. Again, we're not saying that a genuine romance can't bloom between people. This happens between us all the time, but also you can still do that 
in an appropriate manner, in a non-creepy way, in a, in, a, in a way that is not putting someone else into an uncomfortable position. It's just down to being a decent person, really. Would you do that to just random strangers? Like, be really weird with them? If a joke or something feels a little bit weird, you're kind of like, mm, is this going to be okay? You know, just don't, just don't. Play it safe. <laughs> yeah. Just just don't is a good, good way to summarize this, isn't it? If you're doing events, like whether it is at your workplace or industry events, just make sure that they're not centered around alcohol. I think that it's something that we rely on so much as an industry to just do like all the, you know, the events where like literally all there is to do is drink and absolutely nothing else. And putting a bunch of really drunk people in the room and ask them to stay professional and everything is just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work really well. And so if you're going to have alcohol at your event, that's fine. But bring food like make sure that people have something to eat around and that you know it's it's literally isn't all about drinking as much as possible that there are you know activities that you prepare that there are things that people can do outside of literally just drinking and we have such an unhealthy culture with drinking in the industry and i think it's something that we need to to really be looking at and thinking about how we improve that moving forward yeah, touching on events as well, it's really important that people who attend, if you're someone who hosts an event, it's really important for you to be able to have some kind of safety procedure in place, you know, where some somebody can complain to you about the behavior of somebody else, uh, you know, and you could step in and be like, okay, please leave the, the area. I think that's really important because most of the time, whenever this happens at events, it's always the victims who are the ones leaving, right? Feeling awful because they didn't know who to talk to. And, you know, two, three days later, they're still kind of ruminating about what happened being able to kind of just be like, hi, this person is making me feel really uncomfortable. Please, could you do something about it? That is, again, bare minimum that would help in a lot of these situations. Yeah, make it really visible as well, whether it is a wristband or something that, that's a different colour that you've you've informed people about so that they can be visible people around in your event that, you know, can be spoken to to handle the situation that will have been trained and that will, will be there to de-escalate a situation or, or remove an unsafe person. I'm going to move us into the, the even harder aspect of this conversation now because I want to talk about from the victim's point of view. I'm going to preface this first question by emphasising that this conversation is not to undermine the bravery of anyone that is actually coming forth and reporting this. These stories can't happen, this change can't happen without people coming forward and saying that this is wrong and this is what's happened to them. And we need more of that. So that's not to undermine those who have come forward at all. That's, that's to kind of encourage more to do so. If you are a victim of harassment, discrimination, abuse in any form, whether it is just being undermined in your workplace to the worst examples that we've heard from non-work events where someone's got far, far too intimate. What is the first thing you should do in terms of reporting that? And especially if you do not believe your company will act, because quite frankly, companies' track records are not on your side. As we've kind of touched on earlier, it's incredibly difficult to go up against a colleague. More often than not, it's incredibly difficult to go up against a superior so if you are in this awful situation, what do you do? The most important thing when you're a victim of this is to put yourself and your mental well-being first. Because speaking out about these things is incredibly difficult. And it is something that, you know, will, will impact you. And if you decide to report it to the authorities, 
it is going to be, you know, a, a, a moment of of having to relive that trauma as you're kind of like explaining it and everything. So first and foremost, put yourself in a position where you're safe, where you can speak about these things in a way that is safe, in a way that is not going to harm you. And that should be, as a victim, that should be your priority. That should be like the most important thing. You know, you, you don't have to be brave. You don't have to be the person that's putting themselves on the line. That's okay if you don't have the mental energy to do that. And that's super, super important because obviously, you know, like we, the, the people that do speak up, we held them, which is, you know, super great. And it, it is something we should do and we, sh- we need to protect them as well. But your, your first priority when an incident happens is yourself. And that's, that's what you need to put forward above everything Make sure that you've got mental health support around you, that you've got a circle of, of support from like your friends and family, if at all possible, that, that are really there for you to kind of support you. And now in terms of in terms of speaking up, in terms of reporting things, if if your company has not been on your side, like if you don't have the right track record, you can look into reporting things to to external. So whether that is, you know, like looking at an union for example, which are going to be that support you with these kind of things or utilizing in the US, there's the um, games harassment hotline that is that is really great for that. There are ways that you can kind of like start raising things and start, you know, moving the needle, the balance a little bit with that. If it comes to like the, the, the worst kind of things, you can look into reporting it to the police. Again, all that, making sure that you put yourself first and that you you consider how that's going to impact your mental well-being as you do it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty contextual um, on what happened, right? So definitely number one is to take care of your mental health first, meaning, you know, you have to find a safe space uh, with a bunch of people that you can talk to, kind of get a little bit clarity of the situation and get some feedback from people that you trust. Uh, second, when you do go up to your HR, make sure that you are writing everything down. So this is what we mean by keeping receipts. It's extremely important that you jot down everything names, locations, what happened, you know, even with your meeting with HR, like every time you meet with them, jot that down, you know, have it on record of when you spoke to them. Um, and if there's any follow-ups after that, if let's say HR is not doing what you want them to, or they're kind of, you know, they've dropped the ball, there's also the option of going to a union. There are several different unions that not just the one, there's a few that you can go to. You can have a union rep with you in the company um, to, to be present in these meetings. There's this idea of having a third person in the meeting. So let's say it's just you and somebody else and you feel extremely uh, uncomfortable to be alone. You can definitely have somebody else in that meeting room with you, be it somebody else from the same company, like a, a fellow colleague that you trust that could be there for you um, or a union rep, um, definitely. And kind of take it from there. And again, you could escalate it to law enforcement if it's a serious enough offense. But it's really important for you to kind of know what your rights are and if there is a system or a process available to you. So if your company has like a handbook, like an employee handbook, a good time to just flick through that again, see if there's a, a formal process that you can follow properly, keep receipts and it's okay to tap out because <laughs> there's only so far you can go up to sometimes with these things. It depends on like each company is different. Indie, AAA, doesn't matter the, the size, each of them handle it differently. But you need to know your rights and you need to have somebody there with you as well. You're, you don't need to do this by yourself. 
you made a good point there. Like read up on employment law. Like the, the best defense you've got as an employee is just understanding what your local employment law is and, and you know where you're going to be protected, like what's what's gonna be on your side, etc. It's really important to to understand what your rights are. Those are, are fairly easily accessible in terms of like finding things and, and you'll find a lot of places that will have, you know, done things on so that it's quite easy to understand you know, where your rights are and what, what to do with it and, you know, where, where you're going to be protected. And, and yeah, that, that's that's going to be key. If you can get legal counsel from somewhere, because that's the thing, like you don't, if you don't know what your rights are, if you don't know what you legally can or cannot do, then, you know, you're at a disadvantage. So a bit of homework, a bit of like reaching out to anyone who could give legal advice or, you know, again, union reps are, are great for this with employment laws. Uh, it really depends on where you are in the country or in the world as well. I think the Activision Blizzard thing is literally the worst case scenario that could ever happen where, you know, the state sues the company on behalf of like a bunch of people. And that took two years. That is two whole years of them dredging up past traumas and interviews and, and you know, this really big news piece hitting the media. Like all of this is traumatizing and you're kind of dredging up old trauma again. So it is hard and obviously we don't want that to happen um if possible because you'd want to sell it as quick as possible but again yeah that is whatever you see in the news is is literally the, the worst case scenario ever hopefully if you are going through this it's not that bad and you do have you have people there's so many organizations out there that would like to help you just gotta look for them just to, to add a last thing as well, consent, like with everything, consent can be withdrawn at any time. If you're going through this and you you cannot keep like talking about it, you cannot keep seeing it, just remove yourself from the situation. It is com- completely up to you like when you're ready to talk about things and everything and, and you can remove yourself from the situation at any point. And that, that's not something that you should ever get mistreated for. That's really important and key to keep is that if you can no longer keep talking about this, if you need to, you know, remove yourself from the situation, you're the person in charge of that consent and you can remove yourself from it. Whenever you see these conversations, you see these reports come out, there is at least a vein of we need this to stop, we need this to do better, we need to change. That has been increasing with every instance over the last few years. Um, Certainly we've seen kind of waves of this over the last two years specifically. We talked a bit earlier about what companies can do to improve, um, but I, I want to talk about the industry in general. Like what is it that any and all industry workers can do, regardless of position or role, can do to kind of push for more change and better processes at their company if they see or even just believe that this stuff is happening at their their workplace if you're in a position where you can speak up do that again you know do the work watch the talks like inform yourself and understand you know like what what marginalized people can do if you're in that position of privilege and and speak up and like you know continue demanding better from your company demanding that they improve their processes and hold your company accountable to doing that ultimately your studio leadership reports to you 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 report to them sure you know in terms of like the content output that you give but they are there because of their employees and that's something that we all have to remember so you know keep that in mind and and demand better from your company like make sure that you get listened to and ask of them that they do that i think that what ubisoft did with the letter that they sent that that kind of example you know like 
uh, making making demands and making sure that you know there's enough people that are speak up and and to do that. If you are in a position where you you can make the change, like make sure that you you learn enough about it so that you you can push things forward and you can move things and you you can help with you know like driving the culture forward and that kind of thing. Speaking up doesn't mean just you know tweeting on Twitter or anything, but it's having that difficult conversation with your colleagues, with your leads, you know, your line manager, even your HR, like it's easy. It's, you know, it should be easy. You can just ask your HR or whoever is in charge of like, Hey, this is out in the news. Uh, and, and I'm concerned that maybe our company doesn't have a protocol in place. You know, what if I want to report an abuse? Do we have a process for that? Just putting that question up front then you get your answer. Like if they say they do, that's great. Then, you know, you feel a bit more assured if they don't, or, you know, if the process in place is not satisfactory, then that's where you can start again, having a conversation with them being like, okay, I don't think this is a good enough process, or I don't feel like this is enough. You know, we need to do more. So just having that conversation with your peers, with your line managers, words become action and action ultimately becomes the change that you you want to see and obviously there's a lot of grassroots organizations um, especially in the UK there's loads of us so there's a lot of these kind of organizations that are helping with the NI in the industry in general and the reason that these organizations are thus is so that you don't feel alone is so that you don't feel isolated in your issues that you have somebody to talk to and they might be able to help you as well in you know in a more localized way so these organizations like mine which is limit break mentorship uh, code coven park and play out making games all of these organizations are there because they know that, you know, we need this, we need solidarity, we need to move as one, you know, the more noise that you make, the more it, it stays in, in the subconscious of people in the industry, you know, it's an important thing. So we need to keep talking about it until we see appropriate change. So on a public level, on a bigger level, we can definitely join these kind of groups and support them or take part in them. But on a more smaller scale, literally just talk to whoever that's closest to you and see, you know, in your company, does, you know, do these processes exist and do you feel safe enough to be able to speak up? In your company, if if your company is big enough um, and to have employee resource groups, like usually it'll be open to allies. So join these groups and and get involved and, you know, like help normalize the existence of these groups and making them a part of the studio. Like make sure that you're transparent with all people around the company about salary, because that's going to be like a big thing to to improve fairness across all levels. So that's making sure that it's not a taboo thing to be talking about it. Um, is going to be quite important. And, and in general, you know, like there, there are ways that you can visibly support your colleagues and, and that kind of thing will really help move the company culture forward because everyone has a say in where the company culture is headed, no matter your, your level and, and, you know, like how junior or senior you are. It, the actions that you take will really help move that company culture and, and, you know, influence it. And so whether it is displaying your pronouns on like your, your work systems or interacting positively or calling people out, even like, you know, the smaller things, like you're in, you're in a room in a meeting with uh, marginalized people and you see that they're being interrupted, making sure that you very nicely stop that interruption from happening, which has been actually proven that it doesn't matter how junior you are, because when you do that, you start being seen as someone that has that like leadership element to you. So you actually, it could help you move your career forward. 
preventing people from being interrupted. It's that simple. It's those little actions can have a really, really big impact. There's so many trainings out there that are available for people to inform themselves and to really understand what to do. But you can do a lot of small actions that will amount to a really large impact at your student that will move the, the, the company culture in the right direction. And it is it is something that you should look into doing because that kind of impact is like we all want impact to last past us. And, and you know, like doing the work that to mean that you will leave the company in a better place than when you joined it. It's such a great feeling and it is the right thing to do, obviously. Yeah, if, if that's something you can do, there is a lot of very small things you can do that will amount to a really big impact. I've got one last question I want to ask the pair of you, but before I do, I kind of want to turn this to you. Is there anything that, from your point of view, people are not talking about around this? Anything that is kind of getting missed? Whenever this sort of thing happens, like there's usually a lot of discourse about how bad it is, how long it's been this bad, rather than why it's bad and and how we make it better. There's a lot of anger and shock and outrage, but fewer solutions. It can be easy to get caught up in the anger and look at that as the the big issue like are there other issues that you think that are at play here that we need to talk about things that we need to be thinking about as an industry that you you want to kind of surface i think that like one of the important one to me is that whenever these kind of things tend to happen people end up you know focusing and talking about women in games and just like focusing specifically on the experience of um, women in games but this happens to all marginalized people. And when you focus specifically on women in games, you tend to forget about all the non-binary people um, that, that are kind of like going through this. And, and you tend to forget that, yes, like it happens to women, but what about women of color? And how, you know, how much worse things can get for women of color. And there's really that kind of like, things don't, don't happen in separation. When marginalized people go down, it's it's all of them. And and that's something that, that we tend to forget about. And, and, you know, as soon as like anything like this happens, you, you always see like the women in games need to be, be respected and everything, which is true. But really that kind of like the forgotten people get forgotten. That's something that, you know, we tend to simplify an issue into turning it into a one-sided thing when it will impact people in varying level, levels at varying places. And, and I think that trying to remove the lens from how bad it is for women and thinking about how bad it is for marginalised people in general is going to really help us start moving forward and making making systemic changes because all of this is systemic. It's not something that happens in isolation. It's something that happens as a result of, of, of the system we live in. If we start changing things here, we can change things across and and that's something to think about but change is intersectional you cannot do one thing without the rest of it yeah that that's that's a big thing that i really like to see i mean it's that and in general like we we either talk about harassment or crunch we don't talk about them together um we don't talk about the massive issue we've got with mental well-being in the industry people's mental health the the yuki census i don't remember the percentage but the yuki census showed that in general the games industry has issues with mental health and that's that's something that we need to be considering because it's all going into play like all of this is the same issue it's it's all part of the same program and having a, a moment to to really look at it as like one big issue instead of lots of small problems is really a way that we can make meaningful long-lasting change 
Um, I agree with everything that Chintia said. Mostly, you know, again, uh, whenever these issues, it's always framed as a women in games issue when it's really not. That this is why we use the word marginalized people because the intersection between people of color and uh, all the different genders, you know, it all. Everybody's experiences are different. If you have a, a trans person in your company, do they have the proper support? Do you, do you have things to 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 make sure that they are comfortable um, and that you know they're not being discriminated against? The same with people of color. Um, I think in one of the reports in the Activision Blizzard reports、uh, mentioned how. The black woman was treated completely differently from everybody else. Like you know, the the manager was so much harsher on on her than anybody else. You know, like these are the things that drive people out of the industry. And again, these things might not be like super obvious, but if you don't listen to them, you know, if you don't center their voices, then you wouldn't know that this is an issue. So yeah, if you do have marginalized people in company, make sure that they have the avenue to to speak up, and it's not. Just the white women in games, you know. There's a lot. There's a lot of other people here as well. Thank you so much for that. Later this week, we're planning on publishing on GameSpot.biz a list of resources for people who are in these situations and perhaps don't believe they have the support of the company that they need, or for companies or individuals to kind of educate themselves onto how. They can help in these situations more. So we've been touching on it a lot. You've been talking about kind of the training that's out there. We mentioned the games and online harassment hotline. My last question then today is: Are there any particular resources out there that you would recommend for anyone in these situations, or for anyone that wants to kind of bring about industry change and educate themselves and make themselves better? What are the kind of the essential resources out there that you think people should know about? And we will include those in the article later this week. My list is going to be UK focused, obviously, because that's where my knowledge is. But Limit Break is going to be a great source for that.、Um, Code Coven, Puck and Play, Art Making Games, those are all kind of like great resources to do networking and to really create that that place where you can, you know, get to know people that are going to be your your circle of support、um, as you go on, and people that will be able to potentially warn you of bad people in the industry because because that network is kind of existing and there for that in the UK.、Um, I mentioned before there's Arcas, which is an external kind of like place to help you resolve any HR issues you might have. The IWGV uh, Union uh, is one that you can get in touch to,、uh, as well as Bektu, B-E-C-T-U. Bektu is also another union that you could reach out and see,、um, you know, if they can help you out with with things as well. If you are already part of a community,、um, it's always worth asking around people in that community. We, like, for example, at Limit Break, we have a partnership with Sheridans who give、uh, legal advice to our members. For Limit Break members, you could do that, or if somebody has connections elsewhere, that's also one way to do it. Yeah, and a lot of legal advisors will be able to to give you like a first meeting to chat about it free of charge. So if you don't have the resources in terms of paying for a legal advisor, that's something that you can reach out to. And、um, there's Citizens Advice in the UK as well, which is a hotline that can give you legal help, and they're they're really really great in terms of you know like supporting you with that. There's Take This, which is a mental health. They have like helplines and stuff like that, and to have courses in terms of mental health. And in the US, there's the Games Harassment Hotline, which you can call or text at any time to get that kind of information. And there's also Safe in Our World, which is、um, a UK-based version of Take This. They have mental health courses as well as other resources. There's the, the the mental health first aid as well, which you know does training to to help with that,、um, and it's worth looking whether your company 
uh, your studio has mental health first aiders in it, because that's something that's becoming more and more common. And so that, you know, you, you might just have access to that resource within your studio. Um, have a look as well, you know, if within your benefits, you have an employee's assistance program, because a lot of companies in the UK do have that. And that's usually going to be an anonymous helpline that you can call and, and speak about anything really um, and they'll be there to support you and it is completely anonymous and you know they won't be sharing that information with your employer they usually will not even thank you both so so much for joining me today for this this has been a, a really interesting and really hopefully a, a helpful conversation thank you so much thank you for having us thank you Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this. Uh, I don't tend to plug the podcast or ask our listeners to do so, but if you have found this episode useful or valuable, if you think other people could benefit from hearing it, uh, please do pass it on to people. The Gamesindustry.bos podcast is available on all podcasting platforms of choice. So regardless of how you're listening to this, someone else should be able to find them in the, you know, in the app or, or website of their choice. Obviously, it's already embedded in the uh, article about the podcast on the site itself. We will be publishing that list of resources on the site later this week. In the meantime, you can find more insight, news and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Thank you again so much for listening. Mm-hmm.